You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments or mail at Let's Talk Torah, and I will answer as many as I can. So we are right up to Tishabov, the ninth of Av, as we've talked a little bit the last couple weeks the saddest day on the Jewish calendar. And we got to get into some of the history. We got to get into some of the poetry. Uh, but first, as we've been saying the last couple weeks, um, to all my dedicated listeners, I know you love the show, and I need your help. To help our show spread, I need you to go to my homepage, hit that donate button, leave, and that will help us share the show, spread the show, help people listen, take care of the studio. And uh, if you leave your name, um, I can give you a shout out. We can, uh, you can do it in memory of somebody, in honor of somebody, um, to give a blessing to somebody, maybe to, they should have a speedy recovery, whatever you're looking for, whatever you need, just press that donate button, um, look at the different levels over there, help out the show and, of course, we reciprocate in any way we can. <coughs> okay. Getting allergies around here. Okay. So, as we said, the ninth of, of the saddest day in the Jewish calendar is a little different this year because on the Jewish calendar, the ninth of Av, or Tishavav, actually falls out on Shabbos, on the Sabbath. And that means we don't fast on the Sabbath, except for Yom Kippur, but otherwise, on the other fast days during the year, Shabbos is off-limits, Shabbos is a day of joy, of enjoyment. We do not fast or cry on the Sabbath. So we push the fast day off to Sunday. And for the most part, all the rules and regulations that would apply to the 9th of Av, this year will all apply to the 10th of Av. So... What happened? What is what was what was going on? So it happened twice. Really, five things happened on this day. Okay, so and it became a day of crying. First of all, the spies that went. Moses sent those twelve spies. They go to the land of Israel. They really went with the wrong intention. Their intention was not to see the good. They came back. They gave a bad report. They said, God's not strong enough. God's not going to be able to, to conquer this country. We're going to all get killed. They didn't say those words. They just left that for the imagination. And it says that night the Jewish people cried because look what God is doing to us. So God says, you cried for no reason. I'm going to give you a reason to cry. So that happened on Tishabav. Also on Tishabav, both the first and second temple, interesting enough, were both destroyed on the exact same day. Both of them were destroyed on the 9th of Av. So you already see that God has it set up. This is not a good day. 
uh, we also have the story of Beitar. Beitar is a story about 52 years after the destruction of the second temple. Um, so Baikochba came along, and he was a general, and he got a humongous Jewish army together, and they started defeating the Romans. And he was so great, such a powerful warrior, that the great Rabbi Akiva thought that he has the ability, he could be the Messiah. It was a mistake. He obviously could not be because he died. Um, and even though at one point the sages were behind him, they backed away when they saw that the certain attitudes, certain ways of thinking were obviously against the Torah, and therefore they went away from him. And his he was killed and his army was defeated. Beitar was, uh, was destroyed. That also happened on Tisha B'Av. Um, they actually took all the dead bodies and they, they made like a, a wall around a vineyard. And, you know, even though we, we lose and we get punished, but God still takes care of us. The idea of the Romans was to leave all these bodies to decompose. That would lead to disease and destroy the fields. Instead, there was a miracle that the bodies stayed fresh for 12 years. Then finally, the Romans gave permission and we buried them. And there's certain blessings we make on wine and and the, and the blessing after the meal, um, all that is because of that miracle. And the last thing is the Temple Mount was plowed over just to lower that mountain. It, it was sowed with, with the salt, again, just to ruin the whole mountain. That's the overall gist of what happened that day. What's interesting um, is it seems like, and this we're going to talk about in this show, we're going to talk about it again in the next show, it, it seems we're crying over the past. Right? Don't we always say, don't cry over spilled milk? Like, okay, so the temple's gone, okay, we feel bad, but that's uh, old history. Now let's move forward. So what happened to let's move forward? So we need to understand what are we crying for? What are we crying about? What happened? What, what, what did we lose, right? Somebody cries over something. A relative passes away. Uh, other things happen. Children. We're crying about what, right? We, we lost something, right? But we lost something that, that even right in front of us we see we're missing. So you, you need to recognize, I could paint you a picture, and I'm, this is a, people have painted the picture for me. In the days of the temple, what happened was a, a person, you were a farmer, you worked, whatever you did, maybe you studied, and, and you wanted everything we do is to have a close connection with God. And like all of us, I know my principal likes to say it a lot when the children go on vacation or they have a break, he says, recharge your batteries. And, you know, he said it so many times the kids make fun of it. But that's really perfect because the fact is it's in it's in them, that concept of recharging your batteries, meaning that um, we, we always need to re-energize, rejuvenate. That's stuff we, that it's important for us. So you could be sitting and studying, you could be your farmer, and you could keep the holidays and keep the Sabbath, but you need something to ignite you, to lift you up. Forget about keeping you where you were, but, but that drive that you should keep going. So you would go to the temple. You come to the temple, and the building, of course, was magnificent. And the second temple was even more magnificent. And you felt the spirituality. We're going to talk, not in this show, I don't have time in this show, in the next show we're going to talk 
the, the daily miracles that everybody could see. And, and, and you see all these priests, and they're walking around, and they're all dressed in their finest, white, beautiful linen robes. And the regal, and the high priest is there, and he's in his special clothing. And, it, 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 and there's a feeling, there's an aura, there's a, you can feel God's presence. And that experience, you'll bring your sacrifice. And when the sacrifice was brought, it uplifted you. And you, you, you felt, you knew that whether you, you brought the sacrifice to come closer to God, whether you bring the sacrifice because you did something wrong, whether you were thankful to God, all these things just added to the atmosphere. It was a completely spiritual atmosphere. No shoes. Couldn't have shoes, nothing on your feet, um, no walking stick, no money belt. It was just you and you and, and your experience with God. That's what you went for. And really, you were supposed to go three times a year for each holiday. Now, depending where you lived, it would depend if you could manage that trip three times a year. But the goal was certainly to try that trip three times a year. So with the destruction of the temple, so we don't even know what we're missing. That's the problem, right? Sometimes we have to cry that we don't that we don't even know what to cry about. But we we lost that connection, right? We lost that ability to connect with God in a way, a totally spiritual way to connect with God. And that becomes a, a loss. That's something that it's very hard to come back from. And there's no question the rabbis say over the years that our level of spirituality has definitely dropped. Um, each generation it drops. So now I'll ask the question. I think the answer should be obvious. We'll get to the answer as we go through um, the next part of the show, but is there a replacement? So what do we do? So you can't have that spirituality. That <clears throat> that doesn't exist. So if I can't have that spirituality, so what do I do to make my connection with God? Like, what can I do? So now let's let's put that question on the side. And now let's think. So on the on, on Tishvah, on the ninth of Av, a little bit at night, but a lot the next morning, there's a special, I'll call it a prayer book. It's really not a prayer book. It's really a book of poetry. And it's called Kinos or Kinot. And it's poetry. A lot of it will talk about the destruction of what we had, what we lost. But there are other pieces of poetry over the generations that have been added in. For example, um, they have pieces about the beginning of the Crusades, um, cities being forced to convert and not giving in and being killed. Um, they even have added in two different pieces of poetry about the Holocaust. Now, it's interesting. There's always people writing poetry. I'm not sure what you have to do to get into the book. I think for the most part, you were in the earlier generations, you were just this great poet, and everyone saw the piece of poetry, and everybody was so moved by it that it just became part of. So the two for the Holocaust were written by great rabbis and very poetic, very, very strong. There's other people who've tried their own more recent poetry. There may be some people that, that go for it. There may be some that don't, but it's poetry, right? In other words, it's, it's all stuff to bring out our feelings and help us recognize the loss. And we actually sit on the floor or very low chairs, 
cushions, and that really goes till midday. And after midday, then we're allowed to get up off the floor, and and uh, then the rest of the day is fasting, and people will. It's a sort of a quiet day here. There's you're not really allowed to do a lot of stuff. I mean, you could drive a car, you could cook, you could uh, you could water your lawn, you could do a lot of stuff, but people aren't. You're you're staying home. You're Maybe you're reading Holocaust books. Maybe you're studying things about the destruction of the temple. All things to give the, the day a, 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 an appropriate, proper feeling. And, um, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty much what's going on during the day. Again, you, there's no shoes. There's, I'm sorry, there's no leather shoes. So you want to wear Crocs or something else, go right ahead. People, no showering, no um, no oils or ointments, um, obviously no eating, no drinking. So um, this, that's, that's the day. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting day because it's true that it's a very sad day, but it's also a day where you have a real opportunity. to. It's like another way to become close with God. In other words, the whole day... Um, I'm sitting there with God, begging Him to bring back the temple because I realize what I what I lost. So that almost gives you your own way to connect with God. Okay, but what I want to talk about in these kinnis, there's another very beautiful, powerful uh, piece of poetry. The Hebrew word is Shali Srufa. That's what it's known as, Shali Srufa. It happens to be in the numbers. It's number forty-one. It's towards the end of the day. And it was written by the Merami Rutenberg. And it's discussing the 24 wagon loads of Talmud, or really any books, but mostly Talmud, 24 wagon loads of Talmud that were burnt that day in France. So we got we to gotta get some history here just to give us a feeling of what's going on. So first of all, the king of France at that time was King Louis, Louis IX. Louis IX was a fanatical religious king, and he held of himself a lot. He gave himself the name St. Louis. You know the city, St. Louis? St. Louis is named after, as far as I know, of King Louis IX, and, but, and he was fanatical. In other words, he would do anything to get Jews to convert to Christianity. He heard that a Jew was converting. He would show up at the baptism. He was all for it. Now, this is the basic story is approximately 1242. The burning is actually 1242. There's a little bit of background what's going on. So there was an apostate. For those who don't know what an apostate is, an apostate is a Jew that converts. It's called an apostate. And... These Jews were smart. They would convert, and they would, and the church loved them because these are people that have some bit, not a lot. Usually, they were not that well versed in Talmud because if they were well versed in Talmud, they probably wouldn't have converted. But he knew some stuff. His name was Nicholas Dunnan. So Nicholas Dunnan was out there to show that he is a great. Catholic leader, and he was very involved in forcing conversions. There, there's one city he, he got 500 Jews to convert, 
but the on the other side of the table, 3,000 gave up their lives. So he was frustrated because why is not everybody converting? The Jews had it so bad, the Christians have it so good. Shouldn't everybody want to convert? It's like, what's the big deal? And he came to realization, that's why he obviously wasn't that scholarly, but he came to the conclusion that what the Jews had to hold on to was the Talmud. The fact they were able to study the written Torah and the, and the oral Torah, which is mostly the Talmud, so that he knew that was the problem. So he went to Pope Gregory, and he told Pope Gregory, you want to get these Jews to become uh, Christians? Then you got to take away the Talmud. The only way this is going to work is if you get rid of the Talmud. You get rid of the Talmud, they're done. They're toast. So Pope Gregory said, okay. And it was interesting. They didn't even announce it. right? In other words, the, on a Shabbos morning, when everyone's praying in synagogue, when everybody's in shul, the soldiers, I guess, of the... Either it was uh, uh, King Louis or, or, or they worked for Nicholas Dunn, and whoever these soldiers were, they swooped through the town and they collected every single Talmud that existed. Now, he's right, Nicholas Dunn. That, what gives us life, and this answers the question I started with you before, right? We don't have the, the temple, we don't have the base of Migdash to regenerate us, to help us with our spirituality. So what are we supposed to do? So our connection to God is through Torah study. And that's what had happened. If it was 1242, you're talking close to 1,200 years after the destruction of the temple, and the Jewish nation was going strong. We were going strong because we had the Talmud to study. So if you take away the Talmud, so now we have nothing. So we're going to get back to, we're going to talk about what happened, but first we've got to move into the history. So what happened was, um, there was actually a debate. They had four great rabbis, Rabbi Chimi Pariz, Marim Rudenberg was there, um, and you had all these um, priests, I don't know if there were bishops there, I'm not sure who was there. Now, the point of this, um, of this debate was obviously a foregone conclusion. It didn't really matter what the rabbis were going to say anyways. They couldn't really defend themselves. They couldn't answer questions. They couldn't ask questions. It wasn't... They, the, the Catholic Church was not on, on trial for the debate. It was the Talmud on trial. So the priests could ask whatever they wanted. They accepted the answer. They didn't accept the answer. And then, of course, at the end of the day, um, since you're... If you're... Just imagine you're in a debate, okay? Just imagine for a second. You're having a debate with your friend, and now who wins the debate? Well, you get to decide who wins the debate. Well, that's ridiculous, right? In other words, if you're having the debate... And you're also the judge. What's the point? And so they said, okay, that's it. All the Talmud has to be burnt. Now, there was a delay. There was a certain bishop of Sanz, and he must have been a little bit more studious. Perhaps the Jews had spoken to him and asked for his help. And he asked there should be a delay till more research could be done on all this Talmud. Is it such a good idea to get rid of the Talmud, get rid of uh, uh, books? Maybe it's not such a good idea. Anyways, one day in the palace with um, King Louis, all of a sudden, all of a sudden this bishop, he just collapsed and died a horrible death. 
Um, I believe that was um, I believe that was a few days before Tishabab. So once once he died, and then you go and convince King Louis, you know why he died? Because he was holding back from burning the Talmud. So you understand that uh, there's nothing holding him back. So in 1242, they took 24 wagon loads of Talmud and they burnt them. Now let me explain to you why that's so terrible. It's not nowadays where bookstores are a dime a dozen. You can go online and print whatever you want. Um, every home has its own library. I myself have uh, the equivalent of one, two, three, four, five, six. I probably have ten bookcases myself. You know, you go to schools all over the place. Everybody has humongous libraries because everything is printing. That was the beauty of the printing press. But in those days, every Talmud was handwritten. 24 wagon loads of Talmud, they wiped out all the Talmud, all those texts, everything. We would have nothing left. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't a, a whole wide world, but there wasn't such a big world. As France was, a, was like a center of, of Torah study. Once this happens, France is done. And they'll start moving into Germany, which is what the Ram Rutenberg did, and uh, they burnt it. And that was so painful. I don't know how much time I have left, so I'm going to quickly, I want to skip to some lines. The poetry is amazing, right? So he says, uh, this Ram Rutenberg, he's writing, he says, as he's, as he's talking about describing it being burnt, he says, I wonder how food could be sweet. I wonder how the sun could still shine. Like that kind of flowing poetry where he just was describing the pain he was in. But again, this is why it was so painful, because, because if all we had left to connect with God was our Torah study, and you took it all away, I mean, that's painful. You can't just replace, you know, I think it was 1,200 scrolls. Right? You can't just replace all these wagon loads of, of, of the Talmud. It's just impossible. And therefore, um, a lot of people left the um, they the, the, a lot of the rabbis left France. Some went towards Germany. Some went to Israel. It is interesting. Um, Maimonides, um, Maimonides, right at that time he wasn't alive anymore, as far as I know. But Maimonides at that time there was a lot of debate. He was very philosophical. Maimonides is famous for three different things he wrote, and one of them is called the Mornevuchim. The Mornevuchim is his is his philosophy officially Jewish philosophy, a lot of it is very similar to Aristotle. If you ask me to explain Aristotle philosophy, it's not going to happen right now, or ever probably. But in any case, many, there were people opposed to Maimonides. They just, they did not like his, his thought process. They didn't know what he was writing. And they actually, they were so in fire. You know, sometimes people get so angry and they just have to do something. You actually had rabbis go to the Dominicans to tattletale about Maimonides' books. And they went ahead, they went ahead and they actually burned Maimonides' books in the streets of France. And Hill of Verona said, he was there, he says, you know that these 24 wagon loads of books that are being burnt are because we burnt, God was angry that they burnt the books of Maimonides. Because the ashes had you, the ashes from Maimonides books were still there. It was like forty days ago. There were still ashes around. He said the ashes mixed. So you know, sometimes we become our own worst enemy. Like 
we get angry, we, we, we feel that something has to be done, but, but whatever, even great people can make great mistakes. That's usually not the way it works. So Robert Rutenberg actually left France, and he became a rabbi in Germany. In Germany, the emperor was Emperor Rudolf. Emperor Rudolf, which was pretty common in those days, um, he called the Jews his property. There's a special word for it. I don't remember what it is. But he called the Jews his property because he got a lot of taxes from them. So he didn't like when Jews packed out of his country. He, he, it was illegal. He could prosecute the Jews, but you couldn't leave his country. The man Rutenberg realized it was becoming impossible to live in Germany, so he and his family tried to escape. At the border, somebody recognized him, and they put him in jail. And the emperor said, you want your big gravity out of jail? You're going to pay a huge ransom, a tremendous amount of money. The Rambo Rittenberg said, you cannot pay the ransom. As soon as you pay the ransom, then rabbis are going to be kidnapped every other day because we're going to pay ransoms. We cannot allow that to take place. No one redeems me. He died in jail. 11 years, 13 years, I don't remember. And actually, there was a person who did redeem because the emperor wouldn't even give his body out. Oh, and, and here goes the uh, here goes the music. I hope you enjoyed it, short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to all my wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it. And those people push the button as well. I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have Cisco in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and Aaron Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.